Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. The sermon series for the spring and summer is called Conversations. Each week we will take a topic and have members of our congregation talk about it in a pre-taped interview. These conversations are not scripted, and they form the foundation of the sermon being spoken about that day. I hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Our scripture passage today from the Old Testament comes from 1 Chronicles 20, verses 1 through 5, also known as one of the hardest texts I've ever read in my life with my southern accent. So, I hope that you can follow along as I add extra syllables. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, Joab led out the army. Ravaged by the country, the Ammonites came and besieged Rabbi. But David remained in Jerusalem. Joab attacked Rabbi and overthrew it. David took the crown of Milcom from his head. He found that it weighed a talent of gold, and in it was a precious stone, and it was placed on David's head. He also brought out the booty of the city and very great amount. He brought out the people who were in it and set them to work with saws and iron picks and axes. Thus David did to all the cities of the Ammonites. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. After this, war broke out with the Philistines in Gerzer. Then Sebekai, the Hushetite, killed Sippa, who was one of the descendants of the giants, and the Philistines were subdued. Again there was war with the Philistines, and Elihan, the son of Jair, killed Lami, the brother of Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like the weaver's beam. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading today, it comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. This is actually a quite famous passage, and uh, it found its way into a song by the birds, am I correct? Okay, so you If you don't recognize it from having read it before, you will recognize it from the song. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to throw away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. This is the word of the Lord. So we are now finished with our Modern Parable Sermon Series many sighs of relief, I'm sure. And if you take nothing else away from what I did in that series, I hope you remember one line from that. The only line which came in the last sermon that I preached on Easter, which is that it's the stripes that make the zebra beautiful. I hope you will remember that line. That is a very important line because it relates to what we are talking about today and throughout this entire sermon series, which as you heard me talk about with the children is called Conversations. Conversations, of course, is something that happens between two or more people, and as I related to you, one of the difficulties with preaching is that it is a one-way thing. I speak, 
You have thoughts and ideas. You might agree. You might disagree with me. But the fact is, you can't really tell me except for three seconds on the way out the door if you choose to say anything at all. So I wanted to create a sermon series where we could hear from you, where we could have the opportunity to hear what you think about a particular topic. And so rather than me each week laying the foundation, which is what I usually spend five to ten minutes doing in my sermons, we're letting you all lay the foundation for us. And so each week, there is going to be a pre-taped conversation between two or more people. We'll watch that for the first five minutes, and then we'll get into the sermon for today. For our first one of these, I decided to start you off slow, and it's just a conversation between myself and one other person. His name is Bert Jensen. You all might know Bert, uh, but he is a retired FBI agent. And the reason I wanted to have a conversation with Bert is because he was instrumental in creating a program at the FBI for agents who needed to seek some type of confidential counseling. As you can imagine, being an FBI agent is a very challenging type of work. You know, you see and you deal with things that can cause a lot of stress in your life. And at that time, when he helped create this, there was really nothing in place for the agents to be able to deal with the problems they have in their life. And so we got together and we had a conversation about that very topic, problems. So I want to start us off by looking at that today, and then we're going to get into the rest of what we're talking about. We're rolling. Yeah, we're rolling. (laughs) Why is having conversations about your problems important to you? Everybody deals with problems. Uh, we all come about these problems with a different approach uh, based on our experiences in life. And uh, it, whether it be a mental problem, a physical problem, uh, marital problem, money problem, uh, they're all significant and all need to be addressed sooner rather than later. Why do you think it's so hard for us to reach out for help when we have problems? Yeah, I think, you know, in listening to what you're saying, I actually do think of, if we're talking about the reasons why people won't address it, I honestly feel that most of the time it's pride. You know, it's it's the issue of, you know, I don't have an issue. They even say they don't have an issue or they just sit there and say, I can handle it by myself. I don't need anybody else to help me. you know, make sense of the problem or handle it, I'll just deal with it. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and it helped change the course of his or her life? Yeah, this was an example of an individual, uh, an FBI employee, uh, who uh, came in with a, a problem, which he referred to as his, uh, sister's situation in California. His sister was the mother of four kids. She was dealing uh, with depression. He had flown out more than once to be of assistance to help his sister. And the night before he came in to see me, he had been talking to his sister who had a knife to her throat. Uh, He came in, asked, guys, how can we deal with this? Well, obviously what is presents itself is addressing a problem as serious as that as fast as possible with the best possible uh, provider uh, in the area. 
So we were through the network of psychiatrists that we had established in Chicago, were able to make a call to identify the best psychiatrist out in California where his sister lived, and an appointment was arranged uh, that day for her to go up to see the psychiatrist. And I can tell you that uh, 35 years later, uh, they're still very appreciative of that problem, the way that was addressed, and uh, it saved a life. What is the most important advice you have received to help you deal with your problems? The, the biggest piece of advice I, uh, that really affected me um, was probably from a therapist that I was dealing with at one point who said that um, you have to realize that not everything's about you and that when people get upset, it usually has nothing to do with you. Right. It has a lot more to do with them. And that's actually been very, very helpful in my life in right. realizing that, um, you know, not that I don't cause people problems. I mean, I do. But, <laughs> but, the, but that most of the time, you know, when somebody is angry or upset, it, it has very little to do with something that you did often. It has to do with other things going on in their life. And that if you are simply kind and you don't re react, that you can actually be of great service to them. What would you say to someone who might be struggling right now? Uh, what is uh, very obvious to me is that Judy, uh, with the Stevens Ministry, has uh, ramped up the ability of the church and the ministers to deal with problems that are presented to them by members of the church, which is a wonderful thing because the members then can approach uh, the church ministry people in a way where they can be assured that uh, their confidence will not be violated and uh, the, the problem will be addressed sooner rather than later. So that's the first one, and next week when you see the next one, you're going to see there's a lot more people. This is, uh, there's been a lot of coordination to bring people in to do this, and, uh, and it's really neat when you see them all cut together. They, the, the one next week is really cool too, so I, I hope that you can be there to, to see that. But I want to start off with something that Bert said, which is that we all have problems. I don't think anybody in here is ignorant of that fact, that that is an issue that we all face is that problems are part of the human condition. And that's why we read from Ecclesiastes, is because Ecclesiastes, it lists all of these things that we deal with in our lives, and it tells us that throughout human history, there isn't a single person, Jesus included, who has not had to deal with problems in their life. Now, I think that if we're going to start off talking about problems today, we need to differentiate between the two different types of problems. There's good problems, and there's bad problems. Good problem would be that there's so many people coming here that we don't have enough room for everyone, right? I wish we had that problem. Help me have that problem, okay? Start talking to people. I would like to have that problem here. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about bad problems. The problems that come upon us that are unwelcome, that harm us, and that we have to do something in order to resolve the conflict in our lives. Now, these problems, they 
come about as a result of three different scenarios. The first scenario is humans interacting with the world. The second scenario that causes us problems is humans interacting with each other. And the third is humans interacting with themselves. We're going to look at each of these individually, and we're going to talk about how they affect us as people. So the first one, humans interacting with the world. In the world, there are a lot of barriers that prevent us from being able to survive the way that we want to. Let's start small and work our way up. On the microbial level, we have to deal with lots of different sickness, right? Viruses, bacteria, they can make us quite sick. And sometimes we inherit genetic diseases from our ancestors. But even if you're able to avoid all of that sickness, all of the health problems, we still have an issue. Because we need energy in order to get through our day, don't we? And what gives us energy? What do we have to do? We have to eat. We need to drink water. Those are the things that we need. Now, in our country, water, food is very plentiful. Other parts of the world, not so much. The reason why is usually climate. The climate is not good in certain parts of the world for growing the food you need for the population. And if the food isn't growing well, that probably tells you something about the climate for the people. For human beings, climate, there's a very limited range of temperatures that are good for us. If it's too hot, what's going to happen? You're going to die from heat stroke. You'll die from dehydration. If it's too cold, you'll die from hypothermia. You have to be right in that middle range. And if you're not, it can be very bad for us. The climate can also destroy us through natural disasters, right? Floods, wildfires, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, all of these things can wipe out our entire livelihood in the blink of an eye. And most of those situations, particularly those of natural disasters, the only thing that you can do because they're totally out of your control is come together with other people if you survive them. We have to help each other out. Which leads me to the second place where we find problems, and that is with each other. If you have ever taken the opportunity to step back and observe humans in the way that you might observe wildlife. It is very interesting to do so. I don't know if you've ever done this. I enjoy doing it. But you will find that there's a very fascinating paradox when it comes to human beings. We want and we desire to be around other people, but we have a very limited tolerance for how long we can be around them before we get into conflict with other people. True? True, right? Now, let's use a good example of this. Let's talk about kids in school. You stick hundreds of kids in a building for eight hours a day, and you expect them to get along. That's the idea, right? Now, at the beginning of the school year, September, October, it's okay. It's not too bad, right? Because they just got off a summer break. They're back. They're excited to see their friends, get on with the year. It's still warm outside, so they can burn off the extra energy. But come November... When it starts to get cold and everybody's sequestered inside, things get a little bit more tight. The conflicts start to ratchet up. November is the beginning of fight season for administrators in middle school and high school because it starts in November and it escalates all the way through spring. Where I went to school, by the springtime in high school, we would have two or three fights a day in our school sometimes. It was that bad. Because these teenagers, they're just tired of being around the same people all the time. And the conflicts 
they become really, really friction-filled. Now, in the adult world, these skirmishes, they play themselves out on a much larger stage. So in the adult world, when we disagree over the distribution of resources, over the role and purpose of government, even over fundamental ideas about how we are supposed to live our lives, well, that can cause us to get into conflict. And those conflicts can escalate within our own society and among other nations. And we have pretty much three options at our disposal if we want to resolve these conflicts. The first is diplomacy. You can talk it out. The second is sanctions. That is, the withholding of resources. And the third is war. That's the removal of opposition through violence. What I find to be so interesting about these three tactics that we use on a global scale is that it's the same thing that we use on an individual level when we're trying to deal with it. Let me use my boys as an example of this. So I have a five-and-a-half-year-old who's named Elijah, and I have an almost three-year-old who's named Lucas. And let's say, just as a hypothetical situation, it never happens, of course, but let's say that they both want the toy at the same time, right? So they're getting into a fight over the distribution of resources. They both want the same resource. So their go-to tactic is violence, no doubt about it. They will fight each other for it, and they'll try to overpower the other one to take what they want for themselves, right? But my older one, Elijah, he's starting to learn a little bit better ways to go about it. And so he might say, okay, Lucas, you can have the toy, but what that means is is that you can't have your special drink later on. Now, special drinks are very important in our house. During the week, my kids can only have milk and water, but on the weekend, we give them a special drink, which is not alcohol, by the way, okay? (laughs) Special drink is like vitamin water, you know, that they get on the weekend, right? Now, it's not even real. Elijah doesn't really even have any say over whether Lucas technically can have one or not. But what he's trying to do, he's trying to impose a sanction, right? He's trying to withhold resources to entice Lucas to give him what he wants. And then there's the rare instances where they'll talk it out. They'll use diplomacy. Now, it's rare, right, because it's a learned skill. We're trying to teach them how to do this. Diplomacy is not innate to who we are as people. It doesn't just come naturally to us. It does take time for us to learn the skill. And if you are able to work your problems out through conversation, it is the best way of going about working out your issues because it teaches you a very important skill set, empathy. And empathy is what? When you look at the world through the eyes and feelings of another person. So a true conversation, this is the essence of true conversation. Two parties sit down together, and they are trying to see the world from the other person's perspective. Now, why this is so challenging and difficult is because if you're going to be in a true conversation, you have to momentarily let go of what's important to you, and you have to assume the vantage point of what's important to someone else. Very, very hard to do. But if you've ever done it, if you've ever truly done a conversation that way, it is a transformative experience because it opens you up to entirely new ways of thinking about the world. Indeed, these ways of thinking can transform the world in absolutely amazing ways. And if you think I'm being hyperbolic about that, let me give you an example of how a conversation changed the world. 
Back in the 1980s, those of you might remember that we were in the midst of the Cold War with Russia. Reagan, who had come into office, he believed, like many other Americans, that Russia represented the single greatest threat to freedom and democracy in the world. Now, when Reagan was first in office for his first couple of years, he took a very hard-line stance against the Russians, and he leaned heavily on his military advisors as to what he was going to do in order to use tactics to wear them down. But that all changed in 1984, where he decided he was actually going to start having conversations. See, in 1984, he met a woman named Suzanne Massey. Now, Suzanne Massey, she was the daughter of a Swiss diplomat. She spoke fluent Russian, and she had a keen insight into Russian culture and the Russian people. She had written a book called The Land of the Firebird, The Beauty of Old Russia, and Reagan read it, and he invited her to come to the White House because he liked what was in it so much. And after that initial meeting, he invited Massey back some 20 times to the White House over the next four years. And they would have conversations with each other about this. And while they had these conversations, sometimes they do it in the presence of military advisors. Other times they would go off and talk in private. But what became clear to everybody who was working in the White House at that time is that Reagan's understanding of the Russian people was changing. And perhaps the most important thing that Massey imparted to Reagan was that the Russian people are just human beings like everyone else. They are not these evil creatures that want to destroy the world, as the propaganda would often say. They want what everybody else wants. They want a good life so their families can prosper. And so because Reagan was willing to listen to what Massey had to say, and because he was willing to take the vantage point of really understanding the Russian people... He broke with his party, and he started engaging diplomatically with Mikhail Gorbachev, the then president of Russia. And what's interesting is that through those conversations, he was able to put an end to the Cold War. So in that way, conversations literally changed the world. Had it not been for that conversation, things might have turned out very differently. And so... What I believe is, is that the Reagan example proves to us that when enough people are having the same conversation, it changes our thinking as a species. The fact that we were able to get out of the Cold War without it escalating into something far more violent shows that we are progressing in our thinking as a species. I think people today, in our world right now, are far more cautious about war than our ancestors used to be. Do you remember that Chronicles text that Ty had to read (laughs) that was so difficult? Okay, that first Chronicles text, this is what it says at the beginning. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. What is that saying? Every year in springtime, the kings would get their armies together and they would go out to fight. It was part of their culture. They would go out and they would try to maintain their borders or expand them. That's the way they thought about the world. But in our world today, I believe that our global population is becoming increasingly anti-war in their thinking. 
And the reason why is because 70 years ago, we had World War II, the most destructive war in the history of humanity. And I think what happened is, after that war, we started looking at what happened, we started talking about it, having conversations about that war, and we came to the decision, many of us, that should never be allowed to happen again. And the reason why is because we know if we go to war again, we're going to wipe ourselves off the face of the planet, no doubt about it. And if you think that that's not happening, just look at what happened last year when Vladimir Putin, the current president of Russia, tried to annex the Crimean Peninsula and the Black Sea. What happened in that instance? Now, if this had happened 70, 80 years ago, nobody would have blinked an eye. Some foreign power going in, gobbling up land. That's just what happened. We did the same thing back then. But today, look at what happened. The international community was outraged. They, were, they sat there and they said, you can't just send in troops into a country that's not yours to take over land that is not yours because you want to. Everybody sat there and said, this is unacceptable for you to do this. Now that type of thinking, that way of thinking that a country should not just be able to go in and take whatever it wants by force, the idea that violence and war are unacceptable, that type of thinking, that's kingdom thinking. That's Jesus' way of thinking. You see, Jesus tells us that in God's kingdom, there's no more pain and there's no more suffering. You want to know why there's no more pain and no more suffering in God's kingdom? It's because we're not inflicting it on each other any longer. And I think that as a species, we are slowly moving towards that way of thinking. Now, I'm not saying that we're there, because you could easily come back to me and say, there's plenty of examples going on right now all around the world of people who are in the midst of war. Syria, you could look at the wars and skirmishes in Africa, you can look at Pakistan, all these places where war is taking place all the time. I get that. But I think that as a global population, we are much further and closer to Jesus' way of thinking than we've ever been. And the reason why is because we are having conversations and those conversations are changing the way that we're thinking on an individual level. Which brings me to the final place where we have conflict in our lives. And that is within ourselves. Of all the places that we have conflict in the world, the conflict inside of our own minds and bodies are the most profound. Because those conflicts of self are the genesis of all the other conflicts that we have in the world. If you could mend the conflict going on inside of you, you would take care of the vast majority of conflicts you have with other people in the world. And this is where conversation is the most important and the most challenging at the same time. I have found during my time as a pastor that one of the most challenging aspects of being human is conveying and articulating to other people through words what is going on inside of your mind and in your body. What you are experiencing emotionally, what's happening to you spiritually inside of your heart, this is hard for us to put into words. And the frustration that I see from people of not being able to speak what's happening inside of them It makes them feel as though their lives are not valued, that nobody's listening to them, and it can be one of the most demoralizing and isolating aspects of the human experience. I believe that is why we lash out at other people, because 
when we don't know how to articulate what's going on inside of us, if we hurt other people with our words and our actions, then even though we can't say how we feel, we've made them feel the way that we do. And so when somebody comes up to me and they are rude to me, they are mean to me, I have learned to see this is a person who actually doesn't understand how to convey to me what they're feeling inside. And the only way they know how to do it is by trying to hurt. So they hurt me so that I feel what they feel. They're saying, this is what's happening inside of me right now. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? So let's go back to what Bert said at the beginning in the video. He said, we all have problems. It's a universal truism. If you're sitting here right now and you say, I don't have a problem, you are lying to yourself. That is absolutely the truth. The only difference is whether or not you are willing to reach out and get the help you need for the problems that you have. And if you sit there and you say, yes, I do need to get help for the problems I have, then what that's going to result in is you having conversations. Because conversations are the way that we grow. And I'll be honest with you. Truly hard conversations, they're really tough to do. If I were to take a poll right now of everybody in here and I said, hey, who would like to go have a really hard conversation about their life? I don't think any of you would really like to raise your hand and volunteer for that, right? Nobody wants to do that. And the reason why is because when you have a tough conversation about your life, you have to talk about the things that are not good about you, the things that you have that are weaknesses. You have to sit there and you have to take a hard look at yourself and realize that you're probably not the person that you want to be. That's not easy to do. And as you heard me say in the video, I go and I see a therapist every couple of weeks. And what I do with this therapist is I sit here and I'm trying to work with this guy who you see up here, this guy who doesn't really feel like he has it all together, this guy who feels like he's very discouraged and depressed a lot of the time. And I have to talk with my therapist about the mistakes that I have made in my life and how I can work to overcome those things. I need to find a way forward because when I'm lashing out, when I'm trying to hurt other people with my words and my actions, then what that tells me is I don't know how to express through conversation to the people around me what's happening inside of me. And so my therapist helps me to figure out those words. My therapist helps me to come to a point where I don't have to hurt people around me so that they feel what I feel, but I can just say, hey, this is what's happening inside of me right now. And so I want to end by saying something that Bert said at the end of the video, which is that we as the pastors in this church, we are here to help you through your problems. I'm standing up here saying, I certainly don't have it all together. I'll tell you that much. But what I do know is, is that we can help you. Whatever your problems might be, we are here to serve you. If you come to us, we have resources. If we can't deal with it individually, we might refer you to a Stephen minister. That program is starting today. We're commissioning them today in our church. So if you need somebody to listen to you and talk to you, that's the Stephen ministry. If it's beyond what we can do, we will find you the resources. I've had many people come to me over the last two and a half years and say, look, here's my situation. And we have worked together to find solutions to the problems they have in their life. So don't wait another day. Don't sit back and say, you know what? I got it taken care of. I don't need anybody else. Come, see us. We're here. This is why you have us here. Start having those tough 
important but necessary conversations so that you can grow into that person who God intended you to be. Because when you grow into that person, that's what's going to allow you to help create God's kingdom here on earth. We all have problems, but we need to work together if we're going to solve them. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.